0: Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning online to those of you joining us from your homes as well. We're so glad you're with us. We're starting a new series this morning called Washed, and it's talking about new life in Christ. And um, I I remember back to my years in high school, Um, particularly I remember one retreat we had gone on with our youth group at Highland Oaks, and we were... At Iron Springs, and I'm sure probably a lot of you have been there before, we are at Iron Springs Christian Camp, and we had spent the the weekend together, and Ben, our youth minister at the time, just said, hey, I want to encourage you guys, if you haven't been baptized, go ahead and get with someone else who has, and I want you all to just talk about baptism and what it means and the significance of it and all those things. Now, I remember sitting down with one of my really good friends, Brandon Deloach, And Brandon and I were talking, and he said, well, why haven't you been baptized? And I said, well, you know, I think there's a lot of things in my life that I still need to kind of get in order. And once I get those things right, then I think I'll make that decision. I I need to get some things ironed out. Because I think I had this mindset. Like once I made that decision, that I was so far into this life in Christ, that the past was gone and my sin was gone, that I couldn't really make any mistakes going forward from there on and that was kind of my mindset in this so so there was some truth in it but there was also some untruth if that's a word um, but there were some things that were not right with my thinking and he said no, no 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 the reason that you make this decision the reason that you are baptized is that this new life in Christ begins and Christ begins to redeem you day in and day out. See, I I think I understood one thing really right. Because from that point on, I still struggled to make that decision. I was about 16 years old. And I still struggled to make that decision because I didn't know what life was going to be like on the other side. I, I understood deep, deep down That what Jesus was calling me to was a life that was committed and surrendered fully to him. And there is part of me that was terrified by that decision. To to be able to say, I'm going to let go of everything else in my life. And I'm not going to worry about pursuing it, but I'm going to pursue Jesus. Jesus. And if you truly understand the significance of that moment, I think you understand probably a little bit of what I'm talking about. Like there is some courage required when you make that decision. But one thing I think we've done as churches, and I don't think this is just our church, I think this is across the board, is I think we've created a kind of a salvation culture where the whole purpose is you need to make a personal decision that you're going to change your life, that you're going to be baptized because Jesus died for you, and if you will follow Him and give your life to Him, then you will have eternal life. And you say, okay, well, that sounds really good, but there's a problem with that. And a lot of it, I think, stems and shows up from the questions that we ask. We we ask people, are you saved? We ask people, if you were to die tonight, where would you go? We we ask some really telling questions. We we ask the question, well, what point are you actually saved? When when is it along this road? Or or the question, well, do I even have to be baptized? And, And my response to those questions is typically, why do you ask? Why do you ask? And along that line, is that coming from a mindset of salvation or discipleship? Right? Because Jesus stands before these disciples before He ascends into heaven, and He says, I want you to go into all the world, and I want you to make disciples and baptize them. Right? The the point was discipleship and what it would lead to. And and so I think we've created the salvation culture. And here's the problem. If we create a salvation culture, we may never have a discipleship culture. If we focus on what you need to do to make the decision to step across the line so that God will save you, then we may never get to the point where we have a culture of discipleship. But understand this, if we will create a culture of discipleship and make that our focus, we will see salvations. If we create a culture of discipleship, right, and we focus on that, I promise we will see people come to Jesus. And so my goal in this series is kind of twofold. Twofold. Because I know I'm talking to some people here, some people here online who have never made that decision to follow Jesus and step into the waters of baptism. And my hope and my prayer is through this series that you're going to see the beauty of this ancient practice and the significance of it in your life, not just for now, but for years and years to come. And my hope is for those of you who have already made that decision One, that you will remember the joy and the excitement of the day that you surrendered your life to Christ, and also that you will begin to see that it wasn't just this moment in your life where God saved me, but it was this moment that God began leading you into salvation as a disciple of his And that his hope was never that you would cross the line and say, there, I'm saved in Christ. But his hope was that you would follow him and that you would surrender everything to him in those waters. And that it would transform everything in your life. And so as we do this, I want to kind of look back at some Old Testament narratives And this pattern that I think emerges of through the water into new life, and I think it's a pattern you see over and over through story and through narrative in the Old Testament that carries over into the New Testament. And so I want to invite you, first of all, to the waters of the Red Sea. But before we actually get to the waters of the Red Sea, I want us to kind of ask the question, how did we actually get here in the first place? And to do that, I want to hit rewind on that story about 400 years and go back to a man named Joseph who had 11 brothers. He and his brothers were sons of a man named Israel. And Israel's favorite son by far was Joseph. And his brothers hated him because of it. And so they devised this plan that they were going to take him in this most opportune moment moment, and they were going to kill him. But instead, this opportunity arises for them to make some financial gains. And so at the last minute, they actually sell him into slavery to a band of traveling merchants who take him to Egypt. And somehow, the grace and favor of God is on Joseph. And he ends up as an assistant, a servant in Potiphar's household. Potiphar was the captain of the guard, and he's one of the most powerful men in Egypt. But Joseph's favor and grace seemed to end as he found himself in prison for something he did not do. And somehow, during the most darkest days of his life, God's grace and favor once again shines on Joseph. And Joseph again finds himself in a place of prominence. Now, not in Potiphar's house, but in the household of Pharaoh, in charge of everything in Egypt. No one in Egypt is greater than Joseph, than Potiphar. In this huge, significant turn of events, where God's blessing is given in this moment of despair. And Joseph's place in Egypt ends up being a blessing for the very people who put him there. As his brothers are sent by his father because they have no food from a famine. And they need the grace and favor of Joseph. But the problem, they don't realize it's Joseph. And where they would assume they're going to have to beg and plead and pay, somehow he gives favor. And Joseph is faced with this most incredible opportunity. An opportunity, I'm sure, through his life he has probably dreamed about the day that he would have the opportunity to make things right and make his brothers pay for what they did. And yet, in this moment, he extends grace. And because of that, there is freedom for the children of Israel. And there is food in the land of Egypt they're in Egypt, because of their sins against their brother. And time goes by, and another pharaoh comes into power. And this pharaoh didn't know of the goodness of Joseph. And Israel becomes slaves. They became slaves of the Egyptians and their life is difficult and with each new Pharaoh their life is more and more oppressed and they begin to cry out to God and God hears their cry and he calls from the very backside of the wilderness a man named Moses he talks to him through a burning bush and he says Moses you're going to go to Pharaoh the most powerful man in the world And you're going to tell him to let my people go. And through a series of miracles, God convinces Pharaoh to let the people go. To the point where Pharaoh says, I want you and your people out of here. And so they flee. Probably close to a million, if not well over. 600,000 men plus women and children who flee from Egypt, running from their life free, but confident that God had showed up because they saw miracle after miracle of the way God was providing for them. See, God had heard their cry. And God had showed up. And God had saved them. And so we're going to pick up there. As they have just left Egypt and it says this when Pharaoh let the people go God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country though that was shorter for God said if they face war they might change their minds and return to Egypt so God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready battle. They were confident as they left. But God had a plan, and He was very distinct in the way that He would direct them, the way that He would lead them. He didn't take them the shortest way. He didn't take them the easiest road. Instead, He led them around a journey that would take at least a couple of weeks. As they fleed from Pharaoh and his army. And as they camped out and they waited, they were confident. And I think it's so interesting that God led them on this path for a very specific reason. Because he believed if they faced war, if they faced opposition, then they might return to what they knew. And, and I think we know and understand that is human nature. That is addiction. And people will tell you, if you're struggling with pornography, if you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, the greatest thing you can do is remove the opposition from your life. Distance yourself from it. Because if you have to face it head on again, you might get caught up in it again if you have to face the temptation of pornography or the temptation of alcohol, if you have to face the temptation of drugs, when when you face it head on, you might just return to it. Because we're always excited to leave Egypt. We're, We're excited to start the new diet. We're excited to make the, the claim, I'm never going to look at this again. And it's not until we head out into that wilderness that we're once again confronted by the opposition that those inclinations arise to return. To return to those unhealthy and destructive patterns that have wreaked havoc on our life to this point. And God was fearful that if they faced that opposition, they just might return. So God goes with them, verse 20. After leaving Sukkoth, they they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night, neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. That God continued to go with them. He continued to go before them to light their path and to direct them. The whole time the people are fleeing, God is right there leading them. He never leaves their side. As they wander through the wilderness, as they make their escape, God is there. And so they go. And there they camp out by the waters of the Red Sea. They wait. Only to find that Pharaoh has been pursuing them. That Pharaoh is not far behind. God leads Israel to a place where they are trapped. He leads them to a place where death is almost a certainty. That their path forward seems like an impossibility. But yet His presence is there. Yet He is guiding them and He is directing them. So skipping down to to 14, verse 8. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near pi opposite of Bel zaphon As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching out after them. Right? And, and they marched out boldly, but now they were terrified. And they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us into the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Isn't it amazing how fast you forget? These people have seen sign after sign, miracle after miracle, of the way that God showed up and showed his grace and goodness to his people, and yet it's so easily forgotten. And it's so easy to read a story like this and to point back and think, how could they do that? But the problem is, I know it's true about me as well. That I've seen God show up in my life time after time. And I've seen His goodness and grace in my life day after day. And yet there are moments when things get difficult, that I I begin to question and doubt the goodness of God. I know because I have walked those roads, and my guess is you have too. My guess is you've gone through those dark days. And their story is your story. But these people are hemmed in. Because you have the Egyptian army, you have the Israelites, you have the presence of God as this cloud above their head, and you have the Red Sea. On one side, you can return to your oppressors, or you can fight and most certainly die. You can go forward, but the only thing on the other side is a watery grave. And in this moment, his fear sets in over the camp and over the people. The presence of God moves. It moves from in front of the people to behind the people. And he casts a shadow of darkness over the Egyptian army and gives light to the Israelites and he calls this man Moses who is supposed to be the leader of his people and he says I want you to raise your staff and I want you to lead your people through the water. But that doesn't look like a viable option to the people. On one side, still, the Egyptian army. On the other side, a watery grave. And the people were forced to choose. And what God knew as He led them on the long road is, I think, the same thing He knows here. It's our tendency to return to destructive behaviors. Right? At its core, that's what addiction is. It's our tendency to habitually return to destructive behaviors because we find comfort in it. And the problem for most of us is sometimes that addiction doesn't take the form of a pill or an image or a bottle. Sometimes it's our addiction to money. Because when we have it, we have control. Maybe it's just our addiction to be in control and to get the final say. To to say that we'll surrender all to Christ except the things that we can still control. That we still think we have power over. And no matter how many times we say, okay, God, I'm giving it all to You. You have my life. You have everything. I'm surrendered. We find ourselves back in the same place again. Trying to take control. Trying to make sure things go in the direction we believe they should. But as they're hemmed in on both sides... Egyptians to the back, a watery grave in the Red Sea forward. God only provides them a path forward. Are there other options? Yes, but you'll be walking into darkness. So we should probably follow this fellow Moses who is providing a path forward. Have you ever noticed that? That the moments of your life that have required the greatest amounts of faith, you didn't choose? Every moment in your life that you look back and you say, that was a moment where I had to have unquestionable faith in God is a place you didn't choose. You you didn't choose the diagnosis. It was just given. You didn't choose a child with special needs. It was given. You didn't choose to lose a loved one, a spouse, a child. But yet that's where you find yourself. And I wonder how often it's God that leads us into those moments. Not, not God saying this needs to happen, but yet it has happened. And even though it has happened, my presence will still go before you. The question would be then would you have the courage to follow? Would you have the courage to take the next step? Maybe it's less about the direction that we're headed than more about the presence that is guiding us in that direction. That it's God's presence leading the people. Because you didn't ask for it. And yet, they're not sure what happens on the other side. They're not sure what life looks like tomorrow. Because for Israel, on the other side of the water is not going to be the promised land. It's not going to be an easy day in the park. On the other side of the water for Israel awaits more desert. It awaits more wondering. It awaits more questioning, more concern. But the desert... The desert is the place that we learn God can be trusted. One of God's prophets, a man named Hosea, was told that you're going to go and you're going to marry a prostitute. And just like Israel has turned its back on me as their God, your wife is going to turn her back on you. And Hosea is questioning and he's searching. But I want you to listen to these words from Hosea chapter 2. Therefore, I'm now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness to speak tenderly to her. God says, I'm going to call her out of her comfort and her complacency. And I'm going to take her into the wilderness where there are no other voices. And where there is no other choice but to rely on me. To trust in me. Because if you will trust in me. And if you will put your hope in me. You will find that I am enough for you. Not just that I will give you enough, but that me, that my presence is enough. It is more than enough for you. And I think so many times we want and focus more on what Jesus has to give us than how badly we want Jesus. Are you pursuing what He has to give you? Or are you pursuing Him because you are madly in love with Him? See, that was the call of discipleship. It wasn't just about what you would get from Jesus. It was instead that you would get Jesus. And that would be enough for you." These people hemmed in, these people afraid with little choice. Verse 19, the angel of God who had been traveling in front of them, the Israelites army withdrew and they went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. And throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. God stands in the gap on behalf of the people. On one side, the army of Egypt. On the other side, a watery grave. And here's the truth. On the other side of the water awaits a whole new world, free from the bondage that defined who they were for the past 400 years. A world that up until that moment did not and could not exist. And the question was, Israel, will you have the courage to walk through the water? And you say, well, well, what what courage does it require? There there are other options, right? There are other places they can go. There are other things they can do. But if they choose the water, what, what looks to be a certain death, they have no idea what awaits on the other side. They have no way of knowing what that new world will look like. They have no idea of knowing what that world will mean for them. But will they have the courage to follow? And so Moses stands before the people. And he holds up his staff. And the waters part. And through the night, the people of Israel flood into the waters. As they walk through the waters on dry ground. And the presence of God goes before them. And just as they were afraid, the Egyptians pursue. But God again shows up and sends the army into confusion. Confusion. as the children of Israel make it out on the other side. And picking up verse 26, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians, and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. And the Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them Into the sea. What has oppressed them and held them down for centuries is now gone. The sins of the people of Israel, right? Remember the story of Joseph and his brothers? It's what put them in Egypt in the first place. And now the results of those sins have been washed away in the sea. And on the other side, there is freedom. And we see this pattern that starts to emerge through Scripture over and over, through narrative after narrative, that it's through the water into new life. And that is a salvation Narrative, But I think that salvation narrative is a part of a much bigger narrative of the people of God. Because it's not just about salvation. It is about faith and repentance and baptism filled with the Spirit. The community of believers living life on mission together. Right? It's about faith. Faith and repentance and baptism. And these people that walk through the water are filled with the Spirit of God. And they find themselves as a part of the community of God. Living their life on mission. This is their story. But for those of you who have walked through the water, this is your story too that this incredible moment of faith where you repented and you said, I'm going to leave my past life behind me so that I am one who bears the image of Christ. And we walk through the water are filled with the Spirit of God so that we become part of the community of God. And we live life on mission together as the people of God. That it transforms our life. Because it was never about you getting to the point where you are saved. It was always about you making the decision that you wanted Jesus more than anything else. And that you were committed to following Him no matter where He led you. And He led you into a watery grave. And out the other side, that you would become part of his blessed people. A community of faith that confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that as that community of faith, you realized it was never about you. It was about God's love for the whole world that you get to be a part of that you're invited into so that through faith you can go into this world as the people of God and share that love with this world that was always the plan it was never you need to be saved You. You see, this individual decision becomes part of a community of faith, a community of believers who are following Jesus. See, and I think there's two truths we learn in the water. One, the water is the place of cleansing, submission, transformation, and new beginnings. That's the start. Do you want to surrender your life and say, I'm going to follow Jesus, I want Jesus? It begins in the water. That is the place where you are transformed. That is the place that you submit to Jesus. That is the place that your new life begins. And then secondly is this. Transformation is and has always been God's redemptive purpose in the world. It was never just to get you to cross the line. It was always that He would transform and change your life forever. See, here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. It's this story that we're a part of. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. Verse 2. They were all baptized into Moses. In the cloud and in the sea. That's one of those phrases that's always kind of been weird for me. They were baptized into Moses. What, What does he mean they were baptized into Moses? It means when Moses stood there and held back the water, that they trusted Moses as their leader. And that they were going to follow His leading no matter where it went. It was there that they became Moses' people. And it's so funny, like time and time again, Moses says, hey, these people, God, that You gave me. But there's one moment. It's in Exodus 32, right after the golden calf. I want you you listen to what God says to him? In chapter 32, verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, go down because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. Moses, these are your people. You've led them. And Paul is picking up on that theme. Hey, there's a new Moses. And his name is Jesus. And just like they walked through the water into a watery grave in the Red Sea and found life on the other side, you, following Jesus, walking through the watery grave and finding new life on the other side, you become Jesus' people. You become His people. You are baptized into Him. So here's my question. Are you a Jesus people? Did you always just want what Jesus had to give? Or do you truly want Him more than anything else in the world? That you want to pursue Him because you were in love with Him. And He has invited you into new life. So as I said, there's two groups of people. Those who've never walked through that water. And my hope is through this series that you're going to see the beauty and significance of that. And you're going to have the courage to take that step. And you're going to find this amazing new world on the other side. But for those of you who have, My hope in this series is that you are reminded of the beauty of that moment in your life. And the courage once again to say, God, I will follow you wherever you lead me. Because I am your disciple. And I want to be just like you. Father, thank you for this time today. God, we pray for your presence and your power among your people. And, Father, that you would empower us with the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to go live our life on mission for your name and for your glory in this world. Father, I want to pray a special prayer for those who are contemplating and thinking about making that decision to follow you in baptism. And, Father, I pray that they would have the courage to let go of the things they hold so dear, And surrender their life to King Jesus. And have the courage to walk through that water. Into an entirely new world. Father, we thank you that even though this world is passing away. You are breathing new life into your new creation here in our midst. And we're so thankful to be a part of that. Father, we pray your blessing on us as your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If we could help you with anything as you follow Jesus, we're going to have our shepherds, their spouses in the back. Um, Whatever we could do as you follow him, we would love to do. If you've never given your life to him, you've never had the courage to step in the water, make today the day that you do that. Always stand and sing.